This talk was given by Ronald Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and is co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation, please visit our website at zmm.mro.org donate. Thanks for your support. Good morning. Uh, I was looking at my watch because um, I'm thinking that right now at Zen Mountain Monastery, uh, as we say, Goddard is uh, seated next to Shugen Sensei and being invited to, uh, my guess is, uh, if her path was any, her experience is anything like mine, uh, address the Sangha, having received Dharma transmission at midnight last night, and now, and, and which is at the completion of an entire intense week of that transmission. Uh, which is concluded at midnight uh, for historical reasons. That's when the sixth ancestor uh, um, of Zen um, received transmission in a, at the time of secret ceremony. So it's all non-public. It's all between the teacher and the student. And then at the end of that, this morning dawns and uh, it's public and the um, now transmitted to teachers, welcomed into the Sangha. And there's a, a brief, and it's brief, um, uh, public ceremony. Uh, and usually she's invited to say a few words. Um, I know I was, at, I, if I recall, because I was kind of a, in a daze at that point, um, I was seated next to Shugen Sensei, and when he invited me to say something, I didn't know he was going to invite me to say something. So I was like, okay, Hogan, say something, you know. Um, but um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's more than an important moment. It's a formative moment in our Sangha. Uh, we now have um, um, four teachers, two monastics, two lays. We say is a, a lay student, a white robe person like me. Uh, both of us have we're for many years monastics, so we've certainly well trained in that, as well as in lay life. Um, we have, um, for whatever that means, two women and two men, um, which is important and no small thing. Uh, we have four people that could not be more dissimilar uh, in ways, although Zuisi and I are like brother and sister, I mean, uh, and alike in many ways, in my opinion, in personality and um, how we understand our body and use our body and so on and so forth. But uh, otherwise could not be more alike, uh, could not be more dissimilar in terms of personality and how we teach and how we uh, work with the Sangha and work with our own practice. And, and all that to me is a Dharma treasure. Um, having in the very early days of Zen, in the West, trained in a, in a center in which there was definitely the stamp of what a Zen man, and okay, maybe a Zen woman, looks like and acts like in a particular way, this is not that. <laughs> and, um, and so I'm very proud of the Mountain River's Order for that. Uh, we don't transmit lightly, um, and um, it's not something we do commonly. Um, uh, We've got a small handful of people who've received the transmission, and which is um, a seal of 
uh, both realization and a permission to teach. Um, and um, I think it's important. I think it should be noted, more than noted. And um, as we say, we'll teach here uh, on some of the time she's mainly upstate. Uh, Hojun Sensei and I are mainly here, as you probably know. Um, so, um, you know, I selected this talk for today before I knew uh, that that transmission would happen. And then I thought, well, maybe I should give a different talk that more directly talks about transmission as, as a talk. But I decided not to because this is really about transmission. This, this talk, it's a koan, is, is what is being transmitted. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I always kind of feel sorry for new people who've wandered in today for the first time and um, uh, hear a, a Dharma talk on a koan, which is a spiritual question which cannot, cannot be answered by our linear sequential sense, self of sense, a sense of self, either way it works. Um, uh, and from the usual perspective of um, really samsara of, of the place that we usually live, which is what creates this world of suffering, uh, but only from a realized perspective. From a realized perspective, these cons make perfect sense, complete sense, uh, from the perspective of wholeness, uh, of unity within the particulars of each thing. So bear with me uh, and try and get the energy and the words, uh, what's beneath the words, uh, rather than getting thrown by the words. So um, the koan I'd like to present today is the oak tree in the front garden. Uh, it's case number 37 in the Muman Khan. Uh, it's a very simple koan, which makes it extremely challenging. Uh, a monk once asked Chow Cho, what is the meaning of bodhidharmas coming from the West? Chow Cho replied, the oak tree in the front garden. That's the koan, that's the whole thing. And uh, Muman, who compiled these koans, uh, made a brief commentary. If you can firmly grasp the essence of Chow Cho's answer, there is no Shakyamuni in the past and no Maitreya in the future. And I might add, there is, we say, right now. <laughs> and that's the point, that if you can firmly grasp this koan, uh, that's an appropriate time for transmission of the Dharma. And there's a poem that goes with this. Words do not convey actualities. Letters do not embody the spirit of the mind. One who attaches themselves to words is lost. One who abides with letters will remain in ignorance. So the protagonist, we have a monk, a monastic, who we know nothing about, um, uh, is really Master Chaocho, who's uh, in Japanese known as Joshu. And that's Joshu of the famous koan Mu, does a dog have Buddha nature? Uh, and Joshu replied Mu, which literally means, uh, the koan's been Japanese eyes, but it took place in China, probably around 700 and something, um, means no. Uh, but that no does not oppose yes. And, and the koan has nothing to do with whether a dog does or no, does not have Buddha nature. It's a given that the dog is Buddha nature because it's a given that everything is Buddha nature. Uh, that's the inherent being that we are, that everything is. So what the hell is going on there? Uh, well, that's another question. So 
Master Chaucho uh, taught for 40 years at the Temple of Kuan Yin, or Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of Compassion, uh, in China. And it was a famous temple, very, very famous. And he was a very famous master, if not the most famous master of his time. Um, and the, the temple had a lot of beautiful oak, sometimes translated as cypress trees. So sometimes you'll see this koan uh, in relation to the cypress tree in the front garden. Um, oak or cypress trees on the ground. So it was well known for that. Um, and you know, we use the initial koan, mu, uh, as a breakthrough koan, as an enlightenment koan for people who are at a certain maturity in practice and want to practice in that direct way. Um, so this is part of what we do. And um, Joshu's response is alive and well in this temple and monastery and order and elsewhere. Um, so here a monk, a monastic, asked Chaucho, what is the meaning of bodhidharmas coming from the West? And so this is a particular question. It's not a random question. Bodhidharma was the founder of Zen. Uh, he brought Zazen from India to China. Um, again, I'm not exactly sure of the dates, but um, maybe 500 AD, something around there could be, I'm probably off a bit. Uh, and famously sat in a cave uh, at Shaolin Monastery in China for nine years, uh, sitting, and as I've commented before, sometimes people think, didn't he get up to go to the bathroom or something? Um, um, before, you know, and, and a single disciple showed up, and he eventually transmitted to that disciple, and that line continues to this temple, to this day, to this monastery, to this day, that mind, mind, to mind transmission of the Dharma. Um, I've been at that cave. That cave actually exists. Um, I was there in the early 1980s, kind of on the cusp of China opening up, and I appreciate that I was at that cave, and I've told various stories about that visit many times in this here. Um, uh, and now I'm told the cave is um, touristized, but at the time, it was, um, it was real. There was a cave, which was perfect for sitting, and there was a, uh, a, a place outside the cave, kind of a terrace or a deck, if you will. Of course, it was all mountain and rock, and a wall around it. And, um, uh, and there was some ancient writing on the wall, and we had, uh, in my visit, it was with a group of people, Buddhists and Buddhists, and among them was a, a, a scholar, and he could read it, and he read it. I'm not going to say what it said. Nothing important. Uh, and, um, you know, there are places in this world that you get that are spiritually imbued, and you just get it. Um, I don't know if there are any places in this city, but if you go around the grounds of Zen Mountain Monastery, and you wander into the into the cemetery, and you look up, you get it. You instantly get it. If you, and there's a number of places around the monastery, within the grounds, that you stumble into, and there it is. Um, and those, I've said this many times before, those, that whole Hudson Valley area was considered sacred by the Indians, and they would not hunt in that area because of that. 
If you've been into the high desert mountains of New Mexico, you'll encounter the same things. And it's not a coincidence that there are, as I understand it, more spiritual centers per acre in that part of the Hudson Valley than any other place in the country. It's no accident that if, if you go to the high mountains outside Santa Fe in New Mexico, there are just endless spiritual centers. It's like every time you turn around and drive five miles, you hit another one. Um, because that energy is calling to you, it's real, it's palpable. Um, so the question, why did Bodhidharma come from the West, you know, um, is th there's a weight behind it. And, you know, traditionally it means what's the essence of Zen? Uh, what's the meaning of Zen, which is not personal. So let's look at it a bit more personally, you know, because Zen isn't interested in theoretical questions or theoretical answers. And, you know, what is the meaning of Zen? Meaning is a very subtle word. What does something mean? I mean, think about that. What does actually a word mean, our name mean beyond the obvious, beyond the, you know, the sense that we, oh, we understand what it means. But what's beneath that? What is the meaning of any action, any person, any object? Um, so this is a, a reality question. It's, and it, it's, it's a personal inquiry. Um, what is the meaning of you being here today? Why are you here? You know, for those here for the first time, why did you wander in a Zen temple and spend your Sunday morning here? Uh, do you think that's an accident? Do you think that's just, you know, random chance? Um, what are you doing here? Why are you practicing? Or considering starting practice? So yesterday we had a workshop on the Four Noble Truths in Bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is a word for the, the desire to awaken. And it implies, there's much more to it than that, it implies uh, an opening of the heart. Heart, mind, your being, your very being. And it's a call to realize who you are which is what this question, why did Bodhidharma come from the West, is asking. It's asking, who are you? And it's an interesting question. It's, so it's a very traditional question, a code, if you will, for who are you? What, what is your meaning in your lifetime, in the specifics of who you are? So I came across online from the great Dharma tradition of being in the web, where someone said, I compiled, compiled a database of koans, um, and specifically koans uh, that contain the question, what is the meaning of uh, Bodhidharma coming from the West? So this person compiled 32 koans uh, that where somebody asks a master, what's the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? Um, I'm not going to read them all <laughs> in the interest of uh, time. But I'll read a few. Uh, a monastic asks Sui Ling, what's the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming from the West? 
doing zazen for a long time and my legs hurting. Um, Chow Cho, Joshu, um, who, who reportedly lived into his hundreds and spent a long time after the age of 50, I think 20 years wandering on pilgrimage, and he was an acknowledged master during that time. So he's visiting other masters in China. Um, so Chow Cho, when wandering on pilgrimage, came for an interview with Lin Chi, who's another famous Rinzai Zen master. He arrived just as the master was washing his feet and asked, what is the meaning of the ancestors coming from the West? The ancestor is Bodhidharma. Uh, Lynchy replied, just meeting me, washing my feet. Chow Cho came closer as if he wanted to listen better. And Lynchy said, I'm about to throw out this, the second lot of dirty water. And Chow Cho ran away. <laughs> That's one. Chow Cho arrived at Lynchy's place. He was, Chow Cho was starting to wash his feet when Lin Chi came by and asked, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming from the West? Chow Cho said, I'm just washing my feet. Lin Chi came near and listened attentively to him washing his feet. Chow Cho said, if you have understood so much the better, if you haven't understood, don't say a word. What would be the use? With a swing of his sleeves, Lynchy left. A swing of his sleeves usually is, uh, uh, you know, it's disdain uh, because the monastics wear long sleeves. Uh, and so Chow Cho said, for 30 years I've been on a pilgrimage, and today because of that person, I made the mistake of explaining. A monk asked, what's the message of Bodhidharma who came from the West? And the master descended from his seat and stood there. The monastic asked, is that the real message itself? And the master said, it's, it is something which is not spoken of. A monk asked Chow Cho, what does it mean Bodhidharma came from the West? And Chow Cho stood up. The monk said, so that's what it means? Chow Cho said, I haven't said anything yet. A monk said, I will not ask about the various Buddhist doctrines, but what is the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? This one has real relevance for me because, as you know, I spend some of my time on a farm in Pennsylvania with cows. Chacha said, the cow has given birth. Take good care of it. So you know that just happened. Uh, the monk said, what's the meaning of that? And Chacha said, I myself don't know. Let me repeat for Chow Chow. The cow has given birth. Take care of that. A monk asked, what's the point of Bodhidharma coming from the West? Chow Chow said, Joshu said, it's the leg of the chair. The monk said, the monastic said, that's what it is, isn't it? Chow Chow said, if that's what it is, you may remove it and take it with you. Someone asked, what's the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? Chacha said, how long was it uh, that I hung that gourd bottle on the eastern fence? How long ago was that? A monk asked, what's the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? Chacha said, even if you did not bring up this meaning thing, you would not fare much better. Um, 
So the monk said, oh, okay, I won't bring that up. And he said, okay, what's the origin of all things? <laughs> and Chasha said, four eyes looking at one another. Um, someone asked Chacha, what's the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? Chacha said, a cow broke out of its stall. A monastic asked, what's the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? And Chacha said, why do you come to this temple cursing me? The monastic said, what have I done wrong? Chacha said, being in this temple, I cannot curse you. So that's probably enough for you to get some sense <laughs> of the challenge, the non-intellectual challenge that is embedded in Zen to awaken to the reality of who you are and what this life is, beyond our thoughts about it, beyond our measurements, beyond our inherent, seemingly inherent sense of separation. Me here, you there. Me here, it there. Me here, the tree out there. Uh, and this is radical. I mean, what we're talking about upsets the apple cart. What apple cart? You. Your apple cart. So yesterday we had a, um, a workshop on bodhicitta and the Four Noble Truths. And I wanted, in the context of this talk, uh, to read the Buddha's words in the context of Zubisei's transmission. I mean, this is what's happening. It's what's happening here. It's what's happening in that transmission. It's why you're here. The Buddha said, and this is his first teaching, there are four truths, the existence of suffering, the cause of suffering, the cessation of suffering, and the path which leads to the cessation of suffering. I call these the Four Noble Truths. The first is the existence of suffering. Birth, old age, sickness, death are suffering. Sure, we know that. Sadness, anger, jealousy, worry, anxiety, fear, and despair are suffering. Association with those you hate is suffering. Desire, attachment, and clinging to the five aggregates of suffering. The five aggregates are the things that make up everything. Pieces of things. The second truth is the cause of suffering. Because of ignorance, people cannot see the truth about life. And they become caught in the flames of desire, anger, jealousy, grief, worry, fear, and despair the traditional Buddhist perspective of uh, ignorance is greed, anger, and delusion. Anger, really, it's, it's not as simple as anger. Passion, passionate um, self-regard, if you will, that comes across as anger in one way. Uh, the anger, though, is, can be any self-directed kind of boring in or boring away. So um, it's not just the easy, available anger. It's the passive-aggressive anger. It's the subtlety of how we use a word, uh, how we take a step. It's embodied in almost everything we do uh, because it's inherent in the sense of separation. 
you know, it's, a, it's just occurring to me that I think because of our sense of separation that is so held within our society, we're angry, we're afraid. We, we are alone and we know it in some way that that has been what we've been taught and that's not how it is. Fundamentally, the Buddha was pointing at. Fundamentally, the transmission of the Dharma is pointing at. That's not how it is. And so the Buddha goes on. Because it's not how it is, the third truth is the cessation of suffering. Understanding the truth of life, how it truly is, brings about cessation of every grief and sorrow and gives rise to peace and joy. The fourth truth is the path which leads to the cessation of suffering, is the Eightfold Noble Path, which I've just explained. The Eightfold Noble Path is nourished by, by living mindfully. Mindfulness leads to concentration and understanding, which liberates you from every angle, every pain and sorrow, and leads to joy and peace. I will guide you along this path of realization. So these are the Buddha's words. And mindfulness, the word mindfulness, the translation here, um, is not the mindfulness that you see so currently being put forth in our culture if you're plugged into you know, the latest thing spiritually. Uh, it's based in Zazen. And what is Zazen? Zazen is mindfulness. Zazen is paying attention to your mind moment after moment after moment so that you can see that all of the created things of your mind are empty of any real permanent existence. That's what, the, that's what Zazen is showing you. It's showing you reality as it is, that we're making up all this crap as we're going along and we live out of it. And there's no wonder that, this, that we suffer and create so much karma of suffering. So, Zazen and mindfulness and Zen is the investigation of ourself. Who are you? I mean, we know what our descriptions of ourself are, right? We know how to describe ourselves, how to name ourselves and the parts and our history and where we come from, but that's not who you are. So when you remove all that, that's why did Bodhidharma come from the West? It's not a casual question. When we sit sazen, we begin to get, we begin to get personal and intimate with ourselves. We begin to get personal and intimate with our sense of lack, and to begin to explore that and see that and see what's beneath that, the fear that's beneath that, the limit, our sense of limitation. We begin to get personal with the pervasive suffering and undercurrent of anxiety that never goes away that is built into this society. And it's nothing new. I mean, you just heard the words of the Buddha. That's 2,500 years old. We start to come face to face with why this anxiety is there, how we create it. We see the mechanism of how we create it. It's, it's really mechanical in a way. And how quick we are to distract ourselves from it. You know, how, how easy it is to sit there and you know, count your breath from one to 10. How long does it take until you get to 10? You know, how long does someone have to sit till they can actually get to 10? You know, 
sometimes a year, two years, three years, sometimes sooner, sure. But how long before they're wholly there with it? Before we don't deflect? Before we're willing to stay where we are and who we are? And to explore what the edges of that are, is. That's what we're doing in Zazen. What, where is my boundary that is not created by thought? Thought, after all, thought and words is definition. And the purpose of thought and definition is to create boundary. This is where that ends. This is where something else begins. Well, what happens if what you're exploring has no boundary? What will you experience then in your zazen? So, you know, the invitation, the practice of zazen is to look at ourselves, to look into our suffering, to study that, because that's what will wake us up. That study, which takes a great deal of courage, because we are well trained to run from it, to run any place other than what hurts. But you have much more power and ability than that. You have the ability. It's inherent. Every person in this room is a Buddha. And all this practice does is uncover the large numbers of layers between us and that Buddhahood. Layers of conditioned and accustomed way of being that we're trained from birth and the karma of being born carries with it that training. And so it's in the relationship with our parents, it's in the relationship with each other, it's in the relationships with society in every aspect and with our work and with friendship and with love and every aspect. There's me here and you out there. You being anything else other than me, everything else other than me. And if that's not the way it truly is, you can, you can see that there's going to be a problem there. If, we, if, if our base assumption of how we perceive reality as separate and apart and distinct, without disregarding that, because there is a truth to that, but it's a very limited truth. So if that base assumption is not true, then everything else that we build on top of that, that's called our life, also rests on that. It's no wonder there's suffering. There are options. So what is the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? Chaochu, or Joshi replied, the oak tree in the front garden. So perhaps seeing into this question, meaning, of you coming here today, of your life, does not fall into meaning or no meaning. It's not limited by that. We habitually and automatically create dualistic ways of understanding the world. The dualism is another way of expressing me here, you there. We do that. It's a given. That's how we do it with our mind. And Zen is asking us to investigate, is that really true? Out of our own experience. But I'm saying, it doesn't fall 
into this or that, into meaning or no meaning, into you or me. When your whole body and mind is the oak tree, there is nothing outside. There is nothing that is not the oak tree. When your whole body and mind is the cow escaping from the paddock, take care of that. There's nothing outside that. Nothing exists outside that. From your perspective, that's the only perspective we're dealing with. Your mind, your perspective. So seeing into Chow Cho's response is not a matter of meaning, of understanding, of right or wrong perspective. Your thoughts can't reach it. Your tongue fall, fails to explain it. From any perspective you take, any place you place yourself, you can only kind of stand there with your jaw hung open. There's nothing you can say or do that captures it, except to realize it for yourself, except to, to actually realize the oak tree in the garden for yourself. In seeing the oak tree, you're seeing into yourself. But what is that self? This is exactly the same as seeing a cat cross the street, as stopping at a red light in the crosswalk, or taking a breath, say in Zazen. But it is not exactly the same as you seeing a cat cross the street, or you taking a breath, or you putting the cow back in the pen. And yet it is not about the oak tree, the cow, the cat, the gourd that Joshua hung on the wall 1,500 years ago. If it's not about that, why did he say the oak tree in the front garden? What's the invitation here? You know, we, we understand the oak tree at the, the front garden. So there's a pipple tree. I think it's a pipple tree out front uh, that Miyote sensei planted God knows how many years ago because I remember the planting and it was about that big. And if you look at it, I mean, this is a credible tree. It's growing right up through the, you know, they had to allow for the, um, um, for the construction um, supports for the tree to grow. And I thought, well, the tree's going to die. No, the tree just keeps right on growing. Uh, it's nourished by your zazen, apparently. Um, you know, so, so what is it? If it's not about the tree, what is it about? It's, is it about your perspective of how you understand you and the tree? Could it be about that? Is it about you understanding something? There's, there's more to this koan. And by the way, the, um, the tree is not an analogy for something. It's not standing in for something. When Joshu said the, the oak tree in the front garden, that was, he was answering the monastic's question. He wasn't representing that as something else. 
and all those other koans where the same question was being asked. It wasn't, it wasn't an analogy for something. It was pointing at what it means to experience the non-dual dharma as your own being, but pointing at it because only you can do that. And that's how you have to realize a koan. And when you realize it, it becomes alive. It becomes you. There's more to this uh, koan. Uh, it's not part, of, well, there's more to the dialogue. It's not part of the formal koan, but it's quite important. So a monk once asked Chow Chow, a monastic once asked Chow Chow, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? And Chow Chow replied, the oak tree in the front garden. And so the monk replied, please, master, do not teach with reference to outside things. Chaucha replied, I do not teach with reference to outside things. The monk, the monastic, then asked, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? <laughs> and Chaucha replied, the oak tree in the front garden. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> and so here it is. I mean, th this is a wonderful dialogue because it's a complete presentation of how we enter separation and delusion and suffering from our perspective. You know, obviously the monastic didn't get it, you know, and, um, you know, the, so we set up what is outside us objectively, and we do that semi-automatically, and from what is inside, subjectively. And they're different, obviously. I'm here, and the pipple tree is out there. And, you know, that's the way it is. Obviously, our senses tell us that. Uh, and so our mind is trained to tell us that. But is that true? And that's the question I want to ask you. Is that actually true? Is that the reality itself? Now, again, I want to state there is a tree out there. And there was all these oak trees or cypress trees in the monastery of Joshua. But that's not the whole truth. And if you're placing all your bets on that as the whole truth, you're placing your bets on suffering. If you live out of duality, inherent in that is a fundamental anxiety. It's inherent. Duality and anxiety are codependent. You raise one up, you get the other. It's built into a life. And you know it doesn't take long for you to sit zazen a few minutes and you realize just how anxious our mind is. I've said many times, you know, sometimes people will say, uh, they sit zazen for the first time, and they say, you know, I thought I was supposed to have less thoughts. I have many more thoughts in zazen than, you know, I do when I'm not in zazen. No, you don't. <laughs> it's just for the first time maybe you're seeing that you're living out of this, you know, motion picture, ongoing motion picture that we're making up karmically and uh, out of fear, ignorance, and passion. So I want to reference this ango, and um, you know the ango is a 90-day training period that's intensified and that goes, that works with a specific teaching, usually a dogen, uh, a famous Zen teacher, teaching from the Shobo Genzo, his master work. Uh, I'm explaining a bit for newcomers uh, because this ties into this. So. 
how does practice actually work? We, perhaps we get a glimpse of how Zazen works. But there's much more to practice than Zazen. So the Buddha talked about the Eightfold Noble Path as the practice. Um, and we talk about the Eight Gates of Zen, which is the equivalent of that. Um, you know, eight noble, Eightfold Noble Path 2.0, or maybe 20.0, whatever it is. Um, so, you know, listen to the art practice, to the creative expression practice for the Sangho in regard to this koan. Master Dogen taught, now, mountains, rivers, earth, the sun, moon, and stars are mind. At this moment, what is it that appears directly in front of you? Mountains, rivers, earth do not mean merely the mountains, rivers, earth where you are standing or the mat that you're sitting on. There are various kinds of mountains, such as Great Sumeru and Small Sumeru, some mountains extend widely, some rise up steeply. A billion worlds and innumerable lands can be found in a mountain. There are mountains suspended in form. There are mountains suspended in emptiness. So this is the quote that you're asked to work with. And here's the instruction. When you do art practice, this sango, this 90-day training period, settle yourself in a place where you can give all of your awareness to right where you are. At this moment, what is it that directly appears in front of you? Joshu said, the oak tree in the front garden. In front of you means in all directions, both inside and outside. Don't miss that. In all directions, both inside and outside. So I hope it's obvious this is not about drawing a picture about something that happens to be in front of you because what's in front of you does not just reside in front of you. There are various kinds of mountains, such as Great Sumeru and Small Sumeru. Some mountains extend widely, some rise up steeply. A billion worlds and innumerable lands can be found in mountain, mountains. Same of what's in front of you. Exactly what's in front of you. So in front of you means in all directions, both inside and outside. Let your mind be open and accepting of all that, that there is without trying to name or understand. Can you feel that? that? That chain that has just been cut? Without trying to understand it, to categorize it, to name it. The direct experience of what is in front of you, which in Zazen is this breath. Now, let what is there, in, is it inside or is it outside? Let what is there for you express itself through your medium. So the medium can be anything, a photograph, art, a song, a poem, could be anything. It's not important, it's the expression that's important. Express through your medium. Let your expression be direct, creative, and playful. Begin the ango working within one medium that will be your main voice of expression. I hope, I, I really hope you can feel the, the power and the freedom in that kind of um, creative expression. This is not about making art. It's not about making nice things or, you know, 
something we're going to judge as my art is much better than yours, obviously. Um, it's, it's about expression of your own in understanding and your own experience. And your own experience is worth expressing. The commentary. If you can firmly grasp the essence of Chao Cho's answer, there is no Shakyamuni in the past or Maitreya in the future. Realizing this oak tree, realizing the oak tree, there is no Shakyamuni in the past. There is no Maitreya, the future Buddha, to come in the future. There's just the oak tree. Nothing else. Nothing else. The past, the future, is alive in your awakened body. The present is alive in your awakened body. Right here, right now. Where else would it be? Where do you think the past is? You're living it in this body. All the karma since time immemorial of every being, of everything, let alone of your parents and grandparents, is residing in you and your body. And gave birth to you as that. You think it's an accident that... Uh, Tenfu at this age has white hair, and I have no hair. <laughs> it's not, there are no accidents. The entire reality is the reality of karma, cause and effect. Nothing happens without a cause. Nothing. Can you think of anything that happens without a cause? Anything that, you know, spontaneous combustion? Suddenly the baby appeared. I don't know how, how it got there. That line's been actually used. <laughs> Realizing the oak tree, your voice speaks the oak tree. Your walking is the oak tree walking. Your heart beating is the xylem and phloem of this magnificent but very ordinary tree. You yourself. You remember the xylem and phloem from biology in the seventh grade? Yet it is not in the oak tree. Moomun's poem. Words do not convey actualities. Letters do not embody the spirit of the mind. One who attaches themselves to words is lost. One who abides with letters will remain in ignorance. Words do not convey actualities. Letters do not embody the spirit of the mind. Chao Cho had a, a famous attendant who was a Dharma successor. His name was Wei Chiao, who after Chao Cho's death visited another great master, Fai Yan. And Fai Yan said to him, I've heard your late master had a saying, the oak tree in the courtyard, the oak tree in the garden. Is that correct? Because, well, is that correct? And Wei Chao said, no, it's not correct. Now, Chao Cho's response, the oak tree in the garden, was very famous. You can tell by all the koans in which you know, his name is mentioned and involved, that he used that as a teaching all the time to test his, his practitioners. 
everybody in the Zen world knew this. It was a given. And it kind of became a buzzword. It'd be kind of, you know, an end thing, the thing to do in Zen practice. So the Haocho said, no, he didn't have that saying. And Fayan said, anyone who's been around a while will say that a monastic asked him about the meaning of bodhidharmas coming from the West and that he answered the oak tree in the, in the front garden. Everybody knows that. How could you maintain that he didn't say it? And Wao Cho said, Chao Cho would never have said this. Please don't slander him. And Fayan said, it's a very good thing that the master has a disciple like you. And I would say it's a very good thing that Shugen Roshi has a disciple like we say. If the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West is the oak tree, I would ask you, how deep do its roots go? These are questions you actually have to answer in face-to-face -face teaching with this koan. How deep do its roots go? How tall is the oak tree? How wide is the oak tree? And leaving aside the oak tree, put it aside, how would you respond to the question, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? What would it take for you to be intimate with this wonderful tree? Would a limb falling off and hitting you in the head be enough? Or would it just bounce off as you go about your business of the day? All through the day, limbs are bouncing off your head. They're hitting you. Our complaints and dislikes, as well as our likes and desires, all our endless thoughts that we call by our name are between you and the experience of this oak tree. This is not something outside you. It's not something apart from you. And it isn't even something you don't know because when you see your own true nature, you will know that this has been with you your whole life. It has the subtle and pervasive sense of familiarity, of wholeness, the wholeness that you've been looking for unknowingly your whole life. Thanks so much for listening. The Monastery's quarterly journal, Mountain Record, has a new home at mountainrecord.org. For over 30 years, Mountain Record has been offering spiritual seekers of all faiths a unique journey through words and images. Each quarterly issue delivers a thought-provoking array of classic teachings, contemporary wisdom, stunning photographs, and news from the Mountains and Rivers Order. For more information, to subscribe, or to read our open access articles, visit mountainrecord.org.